Asia Tech Podcast. Voice of the Asian Tech Ecosystem. Hello and welcome to Asia Tech Podcast Stories. My name is Graham Brown, joined today in the Asia Tech Podcast virtual studio by Chang Lim Fu, who happens to be the operating partner for Seed Plus, a VC based in Singapore, focusing mainly on Southeast Asia. Chang, welcome to the show. Thank you. Uh, thanks for having me. It's great to be back again. Great to be back. Yeah. So you were with us, what, seven, eight months ago, I think. So there's a lot to catch up on. Asia moves fast, obviously. Seven indeed, months. indeed. That's yeah, like yeah. seven years in the West, isn't it? <laughs> indeed, indeed. And, they, and some people say, you know, startup years are like dot years. Right, right. right. So. <laughs> <laughs> so we're going to talk about what's going on in Asia, what's going on with C plus, what's going on in the world of VC and startups. Just to give people a little bit of background to yourself, Chiang. So if they haven't heard part one, just a sure. very brief synopsis, you are operating partner of Seed Plus, which is a part, I mean, you can tell me better. I'll just have a quick stab at it, but you're part of Jungle Ventures. Your focus, your sort of investment philosophy. Well, yeah, kind of, kind of. Yeah, yeah, right. yeah. I'll, so I'll, I'll give you the quick spiel. You do it. You go ahead. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'll go ahead. Um, um, well, again, like, thanks for having me. Um, so, like I said, um, I'm a, I'm currently an operating partner at uh, Seed Plus. We are a, you know, as the name suggests, a Seed Stage VC based here in Singapore. Um, closed our debut fund, first fund, really, um, June of last year. So 25 million um, Sing fund. Um, we're primarily, you know, based in Singapore, but we invest across um, Southeast Asia and the larger, you know, Asia region. Um, not too much in Japan, Korea, or China at the moment, but you no, know, everywhere else. Yes, right. Asia Tech Podcast. Find out more at atp.show. So Jungle Ventures, that's the connection um, that, you know, they are one of the core uh, LPs in our fund, um, together with names such as Excel Partners, Cisco, um, IFC, which is part of the World Bank, um, and uh, what else? else? Um, Eightwood Ventures, which is part of uh, Fidelity as well. So uh, been been quite busy, you know. As you said, Asia moves fast. Um, since we closed the fund um, last year, it's been a really kind of a aggressive and hyper focused year for us in deploying capital and investing across Southeast Asia. Mm-hmm. Um, we just did our first investment in Bangkok um, quite recently, announced in June. Uh, sorry, January. No, no, that's uh, Kiklo, K-Y-K-L-O. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a, uh, well, we call it an enterprise SaaS solution for the electrical industry, right? Um, really interesting stuff. Um, and I'm glad you brought up Carta. Thanks for paying attention, by the way. <laughs> um, so that's another investment we announced recently. Um, and it's based in Singapore. Right. It's a uh, cash management solution for consumers and um, SMEs alike. Um, pretty interesting stuff. Mm. So we've had uh, just a bit of background here. We've had Michael Smith was on the show twice. That's right. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a regular now. And then, uh, <laughs> yeah, we like Michael. And then we had uh, Chirayu Watke as well come on the show. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I think, you Almost know, all of us. Yeah. yeah, I mean, I, I get the impression. I don't know if this is just a coincidence, but when we have you on the show, Mm-hmm. You all appear pretty relaxed for VCs, if you could use that term. You all sort of pre- pretty, I mean, there, there are many different types of VCs, obviously, as there are startup founders. So 
but to mm-hmm. put you all into one box. You all seem quite relaxed, quite approachable. Um, not not casual, but informal for sure in your approach to venture capital, which is, I suppose, you know, probably more like what goes on in the Valley, but less like what traditionally goes on in Asia. Is it sort of a deliberate approach that you have? Do you, are you conscious about your culture <laughs> as a VC or is it just how you are? No, yeah, I, I think it's part, partially a reflection of who we are and um, where we came from, right? So my background here, um, um, I've been in venture for two years now. And prior to that, um, I was part of a company called Evernote. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's a note-taking software from, from the Valley. Um, I started the Singapore office in 2012 and uh, kind of ran the region for from 2012 to 2015. Um, ran as in launching a product into the region, you know, building out uh, the user base and, you know, was primarily responsible for user growth across the region. So it was a pretty fun journey. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, and Michael, Chirayu, we, we came from tech, um, you know, tech companies, right? Um, Michael was from Yahoo and uh, Hook most recently. Um, Chirayu spent a, quite a fair bit of time at Google. Mm. So, no, no, I'd say, no, because of that, I think you know, it really informs, like, you know, from the way we dress, <laughs> it's t-shirt and jeans, right? And yeah. sneakers to, you know, the, the language that we use. And, you know, I think it's really about us coming from a very product-oriented, mm. technology-oriented context. You know, we work a lot with um, technology developers, startups, founders from before. Um, so now it's, that, that, that is pretty, pretty much dovetails into my next point, right? Um, which is, uh, people always ask me like, how is it different from, you know, from before, uh, you coming on board, you know, on this side of the table versus now, I think, you know, my response has always been, you know, the, the context has not been that different because, you know, it's pretty much the same constituency that you know, we're interacting with. It's founders, it's VCs, it's people in the ecosystem. Um, so on that note, I don't think like, you know, I, I pretty much feel like we're part of the ecosystem, mm. right? Um, you know, we're part of the community. Um, philosophically, that's how we want to interact with founders as well, you know. Um, and all in all, I think Southeast Asia is still at a pretty, uh, how should I, no, pretty young stage, right, in terms of uh, ecosystem development. Um, Everyone's more collegial, you know. Um, So I really appreciate that fact. When I talk to startup founders and we get onto the conversation of VCs in Asia and people talk about Seed, Seed Plus, your team, yeah, people all speak quite highly of you. And I think what you've oh, thank what, you. what you've just said, Chiang, about your your background, I think it's a big part of it. I mean, as you say, you came from Evernote, Chirayu came from Google, Michael came from Yahoo. So you're all tech guys. I mean, you yourself describe yourself as an entrepreneur at some point as well. I mean, if you look at your if you look at your background, if you go way back to your education, if I was to be a VC myself and I was sitting in yeah. the room and waiting for a founder to walk through the door and if you ask me 
to stereotype that the, the ideal founder to walk through that door, you know, the, the product guy would say, right, he's going to have an Asian background. He'd be an engineer and he would have gone to Stanford University. And boom, <laughs> there you go. So, I mean, that's yeah. you, isn't it? I mean, you went to Stanford, you're an engineer. I mean, <laughs> well, it two things, right? all the boxes. <laughs> well, two things, right? Number one, it's, you know, I, I've never referred to myself as a entrepreneur because I think what entrepreneurs do are way, way, way harder than what we do. Mm. To be fair, and uh, and the second point is, you know, having again been in venture for two years, and it's such a such an interesting experience, right? Because you interact with a lot more people, you learn, you you meet new people, you learn new things every day, and I do have a greater appreciation of, um, I guess the 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 dangers of stereotyping. You know, what I mean, because mm. um, I in in Asia, um, that stereotype. Um, no, it works well in some cases, but not at all in some others, right? Because, you know, great founders could come from anywhere. Yeah. Really, I have a, I have a much greater appreciation of like of that, right? Mm-hmm. And a lot of times, it's it, it it boils down to the little things, right? Um, um, you know, they might not have, they might not have, uh, let's say, a beautifully designed deck, you know, when they start pitching. But once you meet the founder, you will understand like. The way they thought about the business, you know, where they came from, it's a lot more impressive than what's being reflected on the deck. So, you know, all these biases lead to, I, I think, dangerous thinking and missing out on mm. great entrepreneurs and founders that you can work with, right? Mm. So, constantly, we want to be careful around that as well. So, yeah, you have to spend a lot of time walking the floor, so to speak, spending a lot of time with the startups. And I think that's where. You know, people have a sort of an old school view of some VCs in Asia. I mean, if you go to, let's say, Japan, for example, where I spent quite a bit of time, mm. it's still mm. quite formal, the the venture mm. capital scene there. You know, you go to any of the events. I don't know if you've been to a Japanese VC networking event, but everybody's in ties and suits. And yeah. everybody's handing out business cards, you know. And people, <laughs> yeah, it's very I different. see my fair share, yeah. Right, yeah. <laughs> right. I, I don't know. I mean, to me, that's kind of like, that's fine if that's how things have always been done. But that sort of creates that dynamic, doesn't it? Where, you know, if you're in that space, it's easy then to think that that's kind of doing business. But you've got to spend time with these people and really understand them. When you've got that sort yeah. of hierarchy, you yeah. know, it's quite difficult, like you say. You get you get sort of blindsided by prejudices, don't you? Absolutely, you know. I, and I think the key word there being empathy, right? Absolutely. Um, you know, it's I, I know. I think that it's it's what probably one of the one of the hardest skills to to do well and acquire um, um, as a as a VC. You mm. you you need to have empathy with with founders. You know, having. Uh, at least uh, uh, some sense of um, um, kinship with what they're going through um, um, when they're going through their startup journey, uh, be it professional or personal. Um, and I think you know it's it's so important that I think you know if you if you're not able to at least display some empathy, um, I kind of question whether you know you your if your heart's in the right place right mm-hmm. you know of course like we we are investing for financial gains you know don't get me wrong it's a business we need to make money um but at the same time we want to we want to we want to be we want to build a good business right good in the sense that it's good is good for human beings you know yeah. um um and i think that's really important because it's such a long term long term business right so. right it doesn't it doesn't have to be 
you know, mutually exclusive empathy and good business, doesn't it? I think in many ways it's the other way around. Is I mean, you no. look at Apple's story, the retail store. You look, look yeah, at their yeah, training yeah. manuals. I think there was some study done on the the Genius Crew training ma- <clears throat> manual on Apple stores, and they found yeah. the word empathy yeah. something like a hundred and fifty times in the the training manual. So, oh, really? Know, I didn't know that. Wow. Yeah, okay. yeah. You know, the Genius Crew, they were all about empathy. They're all about, you know, you know, when, when Grandma walked into the store with the iPad, it yeah. was about trying to empathize with her rather than looking at her through a glass screen in the focus group, you know, <laughs> yeah. the old school ways. Yeah, 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 exactly right. And and I think, like, uh, well, another good example there would be Amazon, right? right um, yeah. it's, quite, it's quite interesting to see uh, how over all these years, you know, Jeff Bezos has always been... It's customer first. It's customer centric. It's customer mm. empathy, right? Um, and that has not changed at all, you know. And you know, look at look at where they are at today, right? Mm. Um, super interesting. So, does, does that when when you're thinking your role as a VC, do you mm-hmm. you know take on board inspiration from people like that? Do you read stuff like like Tony Shea's Zappos and so on with that? Um, do you, I'm just sort of curious because <laughs> that's, that's all sort of one cr- of the books on my never ending to to read list. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've just set yourself up talking about Amazon now and empathy, so that's kind of the next step, isn't it? I mean, I'm interested because this is all sort of customer service focused businesses, and I I, I imagine that a traditional VC wouldn't spend a lot of time reading about this kind of stuff yeah for sure i think well if you if you think about it another in another way right um you know let's say if you were put on if i put on my game theory lens in this and i think i mentioned this in the last podcast right um is that venture is probably one of the very few industries that reward long-term um you know uh strategy versus like short-term immediate gains mm. right because because it's a multi-round multi-round game it's not a single round game where you win in this single round there, here's an immediate outcome and there's that right it is a multi, multi-round game you want to partner with good founders who potentially could be serial entrepreneurs that uh, potentially both of you could have a long career together with over decades right mm. and reputation compounds over time as well so um i would like to think that you know if we if we do apply this long-term thinking to venture uh good things will come not immediately perhaps you know and sometimes you have to you do have to endure uh short-term painful outcomes in exchange for long-term gains right mm-hmm. um that's 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 the way i thought about it um um, and there are proof points along the way, right? You know, like just people that you interact with from before, founders that you really like, but, you know, the current business doesn't make sense for you to make an investment in. Some of them do come back and the second time around, the ideas are much, much better. Mm. You know, and we do end up working together that way, right? And, you know, it has, it has proven itself um, in, in a very real sense over the past two years. So... With that in mind, when you're sitting across the table or even just chatting over a coffee with a, a founder or, a, mm-hmm. you know, a potential founder, what do you sort of look for then with that sort of thesis in mind? I think it's really about, well, primarily the team first, right? Mm. It's the people, it's the team. Um, and I think it's probably a lot more um, important and apparent at the stage in which we're investing in because at the seed stage, Chances are, you know, the business model is kind of unproven. Um, the market's kind of unproven. So there's a lot of hypotheses to be tested out from seed as you lead up to 
your Series A and B, mm. um, which really means that you know the the founder and the larger team that's executing on that idea, you know, has a disproportionate um, um, weightage in terms of impact and the influence on the eventual outcome, right? Mm. So I think you know from a priority standpoint. Um, Personally, I do place a higher amount of, um, um, let's say, awareness around the founder and team, mm. um, primarily around qualities of like, is there um, mental agility in understanding context? You know, whether it's product market fit, you know, whether you know you're you're doing you're prioritizing, you know, doing the right things at the right time um, to displays of leadership, you know, are you, are you able to recruit, hire and nurture talent, right, mm. to, um, you know, just pure grit, right, because we all know that the startup journey is incredibly difficult. So at very difficult times, are you able to persevere and power through? Um, it's actually a very delicate balance between, um, and I love this quote, right, um, strong opinions, but loosely held. You know, hmm. I think that's attributed to Mark Andreessen or someone along those lines. Right, but, right. Um, yeah, but that resonates a lot with me, right? And that's a very delicate balance to have. So, so just trying to understand that a little bit more. If you were to sit with, mm-hmm. let's say, this guy Jeff Bezos, like you mentioned, you know, these people that you admire, but you know, that in his early early stages, or Jack Ma, for example, sure, you know, and you're having a coffee with them. I know it's easy to say that, oh, yeah, I spotted that with hindsight, but, you know, when you're actually sitting with them, what would you be looking for? <laughs> you know, those sort of strong opinions loosely held? Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were yeah. you sort of trying to feel out in that sort of initial meeting? I guess, no, it's actually very interesting that most people, and, 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 and I don't mean just founders, right, just most people do not have an opinion on anything really. Right. You know? yeah. So, so you know, if you do come across someone who is who has an opinion on how the how the you no know, the world should work mm. or have an opinion or it doesn't have to be right right but at least someone has an opinion you know um, I think we can have a good discussion around you know whether that's right or wrong whether it's the right strategy to pursue you know yada yada um, no but it's is this very um, I I guess quality that that it's very difficult to find in mm. in in founders, right? Um, I think it's also about having the, especially in Asia, again, to contextualize back here. Um, I hate to be stereotyping here, but I think it's true to a very, very large extent, which is, you know, to have an opinion pretty much uh, implies that you will go against the grain, right? Because mm. in the Asian context, you know, we're, we're more conform- conformist than other cultures and, in, in a lot of ways, it's good, but in some ways, it's not that great for entrepreneurship, right? So having the courage to step out and say that I have an opinion on how things should be done and uh, how things should be done differently, um, uh, in some sense, it's already a pretty you know, uh, good, I, I guess, in my list of um, qualities, one of, the, one of the first signals that I will watch out for. Right. Mm. Yeah. Where, where are we now in Southeast Asia? Because you raise a really interesting point, Chang, about opinions. Because obviously Singapore, famous for you know turning out many, many very talented academics, you know, and they they all seem to win all those sort of maths and science Olympics, don't they? It's Singapore sure. versus 
I don't know, maybe yeah. Hong Kong versus yeah. Vietnam, that kind of thing. So Singapore brand, yeah. Exactly. I mean, they, they, they have that, but the opinion side as well, it's always been something they thought about, you know, where, where are those people with the opinions like in, in the, the startup space? So if you look across Southeast Asia now and you talk to startups every day and you see good ones and bad ones, look, where's that coming from? Do you see that coming through? Because there must be a lot of people now saying, yeah, I want to do a startup, but are you still... Like, I mean, is that now producing people who like the Bezoses and the Mars who go against the grain or are we still kind of looking for those people? Well, I think so. I think, you know, in the in a very macro and aggregated sense, um, um, it's funny because I was, I was talking to a bunch of uh, government officials a couple of weeks ago uh, and they were asking me pretty much the same question, right? right. So. <laughs> and of course, I said, you know, we're directionally correct. You know? Right, okay, that's so, very diplomatic. <laughs> yeah, but which is true, which is true. That's that's really the way I feel about it, right? Because right. barely three to five years ago, um, if, you're, if you're starting a business in Singapore, that pretty much implies that you're unemployed, you know what I mean? Wow, yeah. Um, but these days, it's a career choice, which yeah. is great, right? Um, and, I, and across the region, I'm seeing, maybe it's confirmation bias because I see what I want to see, but... Mm. Um, I do feel that there's more of a ground out, ground swell in 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 the, the startup movement. More people wanting to start their own businesses, you know, take charge of their own careers and life. And mm. and some might be mentorable, some are not. But in general, I do I do feel that there's this energy in Asia, Southeast Asia in particular, that's swelling up. So that's great. Um, now I guess like over time we will see whether um, you know the the Jeff Bezos of the world, the Mark Zuckerbergs of the world from this region, right, will mm. emerge. Um, you know it's hard to say, uh, and no, no one can t- predict the future. Right, right. Um, but just in a really aggregate sense, you know, I do feel it's moving in that direction, right? And of course, people start companies with different motivations and reasons. Um, you know, so by discounting that fact, I do think that, you know, uh, if you're now in Southeast Asia today, I think you're missing out on, I, I personally feel the next great opportunity. Right? Absolutely. Yeah. Well, let, let's talk about that. And a lot of our listeners are outside of Southeast Asia and a, a fair number are outside of Asia as well. So yeah. let, let's sort of bring them all up to speed. Starting with the most basic point in understanding Southeast Asian personal question, Chang, do you like durian? Uh, <laughs> well, it's it's kind of binomial, right? You either love it or hate it. Exactly. Personally, I love right. it. You know, love it. <laughs> I right. love it. Um, I love having durian. Um, I I I I drink durian coffee. If that's oh a, wow, if is that a know, thing? If, if it is a thing, <laughs> <laughs> I know there's ice cream in that, but coffee. Yeah, it's ice cream. It's like coffee. No, I'm, I'm more I mean, of a coffee guy. You guys just want to so. stick durian in everything that's possible. It's like a it's an experiment <laughs> to see what it will be applied to, right? So, Absolutely. The point is, yeah, I mean, yeah. why I wanted to talk about so dur- durian's this this for those that don't know, it's a knobbly fruit in it. It stinks like if you don't like the smell, it smells really bad. But I think it's like one of those acquired <laughs> tastes. Once you like the taste, the smell then becomes yeah. a good thing, right? So it's quite funny. I'm not sure if you caught the news recently. Just last week in Melbourne, they had right. to evacuate. <laughs> <laughs> they had to evacuate a university because of a rotten durian that's right, right. within campus, right? They <laughs> thought it was a gas leak or something. So. <laughs> there you go. I mean, that's the power of the fruit. I mean, one of the reasons I wanted to ask was that there was also some news not, not so long ago that um, sure. Alibaba, 
sold mm -hmm. 80,000 of these Montong durians in Thailand. They, they, oh, put, yeah. they put them on mm -hmm. the Alibaba Tmall platform. And, yeah. um, you know, they're, they're all local Thai producers. And yeah. they sold 80,000 in a minute. And they sold out the whole stock in 60 seconds. Wow. It was just phenomenal. And, you know, this phenomenal. Is, yeah, I mean, you know, first of all, people are scratching their heads and saying, wow, that many people actually like durian. But, you know, that's another thing. <laughs> you have no idea. You have no idea. Yeah. You've got to come yeah, here. Yeah, yeah. But th these yeah. were Chinese buyers buying it from Thailand. So they were just sourcing all these durians and then bringing them back to China. So, I mean, that was just yeah. phenomenal. But the fact that it sold out so fast, but also this whole sort of Alibaba Southeast mm. Asia connection as well. Could you talk mm. a little bit about what's kind of happening at the macro level with like China and Southeast Asia? Because I think, you know, like you say, Southeast Asia is the next big thing. I think this durian mm. story is sort of the tip of the spear, if you like, in terms of how that's sort of changing, isn't it? It's like the Chinese money coming to Southeast Asia is creating this sort of energy, yeah. isn't it? So maybe you can yeah. sort of help our listeners understand what's going on. Well, like historically speaking, um, you know, there has been very deep networks and connections from mainland China into Southeast Asia, right? I myself, I'm Chinese, right? I'm mm. a, I'm a third, fourth generation Chinese immigrant from Malaysia, now in Singapore. So there's always been a very deep historical connection to the region, right? So, um, and that has that has that has served the region well in some sense, right? Because uh, a lot of the early the earliest businesses, um, the banks, retail businesses, you know, started from their very deep connections into mainland China and now tech, right? Mm. Um, I think, you know, primarily speaking, um, the growth opportunity within mainland China, it's still, it's still vast, you know, and there is a, a considerable upside, you know, for the likes of Alibaba, Tencent and so forth. But at the same time, the... It, it almost feels like the better ground from within China has extend and expand um, to southward towards mm. Southeast Asia, right? And again, because of this historical connection, I think um, um, my assumption here is that from the Chinese point of view, um, it feels like a very natural extension from mainland China, you know, towards China, because the Chinese diaspora here is is pretty wide and vast, you know. Um, so because of that, we do see a lot more Chinese activities here in Southeast Asia, um, particularly Singapore, Malaysia, Indonesia, and Thailand, um, and of course the other countries as well. Um, we see a lot more activity from Alibaba, you know, what uh, with their um, investment and subsequent acquisition of Lazada, it's mm. part of which was previously part of Rocket Internet. Um, you know, Tencent investing into Gojek, you know. Um, and then DD investing into Grab, you know, so really huge, high impact, um, I guess, infrastructural place that are really core to the next level of digital economy here, right? Mm -hmm. Whether it's gaming, whether it's, well, gaming, there's Tencent investing into, into Garena, which is now look, known as C, public on NASDAQ, um, to, you know, transport, to logistics. So um, it's pretty exciting time and at the same time you know we see amazon um coming from the west doing more here in southeast asia as well right, right. you have um, amazon prime in singapore right at the moment don't we you? do have amazon prime in singapore it's launched like i think about a year and a half ago yeah um so we and and and, and there's no reason to believe that they wouldn't do more 
here in Singapore and across the region. Um, so because of all these investments, you know, from a venture point of view, a couple of things I think we believe would happen, right? A, um, because of the infrastructural investments, you get more consumers connected, mm. not just in terms of like internet connectivity, but also in terms of their ability to pay digitally, which is always great, you know, because that opens up distribution. Um, secondly, is that more merchants are selling online digitally as well. And as more merchants join the rank of online sellers, they need more tools to support that you know, transaction. Mm. So from a venture point of view, I think, you know, how do we then um, look at enabling the entire value chain, right? Be it logistics, payments, it could be last mile and what have you. And these are, this could be highly localized solutions. So I think um, there are investment opportunities to be had. And again, right, which reflects that I think there, there should be startup opportunities to be had um, in those categories and spaces as well. Mm. Um, so all in all, I think like, you know, uh, um, China paying attention to Southeast Asia is a great driver toward that, you know, and hopefully that brings the region to the next level. Mm. Yeah, these are exciting times indeed. And how do you, as, or how does anybody as an investor in Southeast Asia manage that sort of China effect? Because like you mentioned, you've mentioned Alibaba, JD, you know, like the, these are companies that have huge cash reserves. If they were to come into any market and do anything in any market, it would completely change the landscape of a market, wouldn't it? I mean, they, they have so much influence and so much weight that, you know, whoever they backed, it would change the yeah. dynamic. So how do you sort of account for that, that you've got so much influence in, in the hands of a small group of companies outside yeah. of the region? Yeah, so no, that's a great question, and um, again, I I don't think I don't think I would have the answer, and I don't think to a large extent a lot of people have clear clear cut and dry answers at this point in time. Um, you know, the way I personally thought about it is that at our stage of investing, which is C, right, pre A, where things are more primordial, more amorphous, um, you go back to first principles, right, which is. Do you believe there's a large market size? Do you think there's a, uh, you have a good team to attack that market? You know, is the market growing? So first principle is being, um, are we investing into good businesses, right? Because, you know, ultimately, if you do have the ability to build a good product and a good business, there's no reason to believe that you don't have options down the road, right? Mm. Be it, you know, uh, and a strategic investor, uh, coming in from China or anywhere else, really, um, or your ability to build a large and sustainable businesses. Because, um, again, like so so much can change between the point in which we invest to series A and B and the the life cycle of companies, you know, just so dynamic. Right? It's hard for us to kind of plan in relation to what would happen three years from now to this point in time. Right? Mm. I'm curious, I'm curious how, how you actually approach these challenges as an investor, Chang. And I know we talked about you being an engineer as a background. I'm just curious, as a kid, were you sort of, like, you know, screwdriver in hand, taking things apart? Are you that how do you of, know? <laughs> I'm kind of just getting that feeling. <laughs> I was a bit like that. I didn't put things back together so much. That was the problem. But I'd like taking yeah, them apart. Yeah, it's funny because my, my mom always complains how at three I was programming the VCR at home. <laughs> <laughs> and out her control because she didn't she didn't know how to program that thing right? wow at three so, at three yeah oh my god 
So there you go. That's a pretty early start. Was that sort of a, a theme throughout your your sort of younger years? Where you you liked that your sort of relationship with technology? I guess so. I guess it's always been you know. Uh, I I've always loved reading. You know, um, um, it's to me it's sort of like a gateway to understand you know the immediate environment around me and the world beyond. It's a good kind of a platform for me to do that, and that 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 desire really kind of get got amplified when we first got connected. When I first got onto the internet, right? I remember it was like 1997, it was Yahoo, right? We call it a web portal then. Well, you know? yeah. It's a <laughs> and reporters Those are the days of CDs in the post, weren't they, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> exactly, with mouse pads and all, right? So, <laughs> um, um, yeah, it's always been that kind of curiosity that's been driving me. Um, I've always been interested in technology and, you know, to some extent, um, entrepreneurship. You because know, you, you hear stories like, oh, Bill Gates and Microsoft, you know, you see, you see Jerry Yang and, and Yahoo. And it's back in like the mid-90s, late-90s, right, when I was growing up. Um, and these guys are heroes, right, to, to me. And I felt like the ability to really create nothing out of thin air and, and having such a high degree of impact, you know, the world over using technology has always fascinated me. Mm. Um, at its core, I think it's a sense of empowerment. Right, mm. that you that any individual do has the ability to effect change. Um, so like that that carried me through through my um, I would say professional journey to this point. So mm. um, yeah, there was quite an interesting period in your your career where you spent about three years at Evernote, didn't you? And mm. that was uh, I mean. Also, I use Evernote all the time. It's a product that fascinates me because it it, it must be, you know, if you worked at Evernote the, the, as an engineer or in the marketing side, the temptation was always to add stuff to it, but they've always sort of fought to keep it really simple, which is yeah. always really hard. And, you know, I always think about that when I think about startups as well. Yeah. It's, it's so much harder to keep things simple. And what sort of, you know, how do you, you know, when you grow a company like that, I mean, how do you actually make that happen? Because it must be, just a daily battle to fight yeah. off, you know, oh, can I add this, can, th this consumer says this. And I mean, yeah. how do you sort of manage all of that? Because that must be really insightful now when you look at seed investing into startups, isn't it? It's like, how do you yeah. scale this thing? Yeah, it's quite interesting because, um, you know, I think it goes back to having, you know, we talk about empathy. Mm. Um, you know, in this context, it's really about user and customer empathy. Um, most most users, you know, um, aren't able to um, verbalize or vocalize their needs very well. You know, um, a lot of times they say one thing, but they really meant the other. So, as a product designer, you really need to get to the crux and core of what are what's the problem that you're you're solving on behalf of your users, right? I think many many companies uh, is. Uh, you know, lose sight of that quite easily as you're, you know, in in startup or product building mode when you're in fundraising mode where investors are telling you, oh, this is the market size you should attack, you know, it's high growth, you know, you should have this feature to attack this. But, you know, the, at the end of the day, they're not the ones in the trenches. They're not the ones building the business mm. with you. They're not the ones talking to your users every day. Um, and as the founder and CEO, you do have to make a call and have conviction around your call, right? Mm. Um, so I think for me, 
uh, again, coming bringing it back to me as a VC, you know, I'm constantly uh, reminding myself the fact that, yeah, intellectually, there are a lot of things that, there are a lot of strategies that sound really logical, but at the end of the day, you know, I do want to acknowledge and I constantly tell founders this, that, you know, you're the guys building a business, right? You should know more about this than, than I do, right? Mm. Um, I can give you my opinion, but it's just an opinion, right? It's not a fact. Mm. So um, it boils down to you having that conviction and em- empathy, really, with your customers and users to go out and chart that what that roadmap looks like, right? Yeah. When you advise these startups, because I know you don't just sit on the, the boards of these startups, you also do a lot of mentoring as well. So, mm-hmm. you know, you're, you're very active in the startup community. Is empathy something that you can structure? Is it just something they have? Is it, you know, is it something they can process and, you know, go, you know this is an empathy exercise? Because it seems quite important to this conversation. I'm just wondering about, you know, if there's a founder listening and saying, oh, okay, how do I empathize with my customers a bit more? What do they do? Yeah, well, I guess mechanically, it's really about you being your own customer at its, you know, at, at, at the genesis, right? Are you solving a problem that you understand intimately, you know? Um, I'm in this phase where where I'm reading a lot of um, cognitive science right mm. now. <laughs> um, big fan of Daniel Kahneman, you know, Amos oh, Lusky, you know, so it's, it's really, you know, I think it's really really understanding what kind of biases that you have when you're creating products, right? Um, and consciously solve for those. Again, I don't think that, I don't think it's, uh, there's one silver bullet to, to you know, that, that's a be all and all. Mm. Um, but, you know, as Genesis, having an awareness of some of these biases and really heuristics that might work for you and against you is a very important and good start to building uh true-ish empathy, right? Because you can never get a 100% accurate picture for true-ish empathy of your users and customers, um, you know, and really understanding the problem space that you're trying to solve for intimately. Um, mechanically speaking, you know, the best the best way to get started is to solve a problem that you, you yourself have yeah. and you, you, you kind of propagate that outwards. Um, so, yeah. No, I get, I, it's kind of a balance between an art and science, right? Yeah. You, you mentioned a very interesting word, bias, which yeah. I think is, is so appropriate to startups. It, it's, you know, often the challenge, isn't it? You, we have our own biases. You know, you talk about opinions loosely held, strong opinions loosely held. Well, the bias often is, is sure. you know, we hold mm-hmm. on to these opinions, right? And uh, I was... Uh, you know, I was speaking to Blake Larson, who, you know, one of the, who's sort of expanding La La Move now all across Asia. Oh, Blake, yeah. So, yeah, okay. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you guys all know each other, don't you, in this world? So, and her, <laughs> he, the, he was talking about, I mean, that's a really interesting case study is expanding into Thailand. Mm-hmm. And you can imagine, you know, if you went into a new market, you have bias, you, like you say, you know, how, what are the sort of the heuristics that you have going into that market? How do you sort of process that? Yeah. And what he did was he got a bunch of business cards because they, they were looking, you know, they, they wanted to know, like, who could we partner with to, you know, expand our logistics network? So they had like the last mile delivery drivers in, you know, all over Asia. Yeah. So he, his strategy was he went to the taxi rank and stood yeah. there like with the local taxi drivers handing wow. out business cards. <laughs> wow. And I thought that was a great case study. You talk about empathy. 
I thought, well, yeah. wow, that was spot on because it could so easily yeah. have been different. They could have like paid for a focus group study. They could have done a study. Yeah. Exactly. But just to get off your ass and go and do that, I thought, well, you know, good for him. That, that's kind of what we need more of in Asia, isn't it? People who actually do that and spend yeah. time at the grassroots. Yeah. And it's constant challenge, right? And it's kind of what I saw when I was back at when I was at Evernote as well. You know, it's quite interesting because uh, at that point in time, and I think it's still largely true, um, up to maybe 60-70% of the Evernote's user base comes from outside of the US, right? Oh, really? Oh, yeah. um, um, it's pretty big in Japan, for yeah. one, yeah, yeah. Um, um, and everywhere else in the world, really. So, um, And what's more interesting is that the interna- international audience, um, about 60% of them are on Windows, right? Mm. Um, upward to maybe 70%, 60% of them are on Android at that point in time. Um, but if you walk into the uh, Evernote headquarters in Redwood City, Silicon Valley, all, almost every, everyone is on a Mac. Oh. <laughs> everyone uses an iPhone, right? <laughs> yeah. So it's no wonder that... Could you, you know, imagine some... trying to get them to use Windows in there? That'd be crazy. Right. Exactly. Exactly. So, you know, and us being out here at the international teams, you know, I, I saw that it's probably one of our more, most crucial jobs in, in representing the voice of the users from, from outside the, the, the US. Yeah. You know, giving giving feedback and as, exactly like what you said, right? Another thing is really, of course, running focus groups is part of it, right? But it's not the be all and all. Mm. Um, it's really it's also about you know us having the the uh, presence and the voice of the users within the hallways of headquarters, right? Because mm. um, else, you know, even though intellectually they they are seeing those numbers on on dashboard on their dashboards um, internally where people are coming from, what kind of platforms you're on. But um, psychologically, if you're, if that's outside, it's out of mind, right? Mm. So That's the challenge, isn't it? So, yep. I mean, I wonder about that, that, you know, when you, you, you go back to Southeast Asia and you look, for example, like we've mentioned Amazon already. So Amazon have a presence in Singapore. Obviously, they're mm-hmm. now competing with Alibaba. And to me, this mm-hmm. sort of represents one of the most interesting competitions of the next generation it's it on the one hand you have jeff bozos what he's done with amazon is just phenomenal you know you you know even all the criticism that he's had for years and years about growing that company he's just stuck to that vision like you said stuck to the vision and growing Mm -hmm. that and he's just a phenomenal guy you know underrated i think for Mm -hmm. for much of his career and you know Mm -hmm. also one of the very earliest investors in Google as well. Let's not forget that. Yeah, so. turns out that, right? right you know, exactly. I was reading the uh, Everything Store. Right. You know, to my surprise, there's so much that we don't know. Exactly. I think he invested yeah. like 25 grand or 250 grand. I can't remember in Google. Oh, and how much is that worth yeah. now? I mean, who's number four investor? He could have just retired <laughs> on that, but he kept on building Amazon, right? So you exactly. have in the one corner, you have him, and then you have Jack Ma, who's no slouch himself i mean he was an english teacher speaks english you know yeah. has great empathy i think you know he's yeah. out there and, and you talk about that chinese network as well i know some people say it's the bamboo network but i don't think it's often used those terms is it? So, <laughs> but it exists doesn't yeah. it across southeast asia you know when you see those two sort of go head to head 
in Asia. What do you, where do you think that will go? Is it too early to call that? Or do you have any thoughts on who really has the upper hand in that based on what we talked well, about today? Well, it feels too early to call that for one. And and the, the other more interesting point that I'd like to bring out is I actually don't think uh, Amazon necessarily sees this as a competition per se. Mm. You know, you know what I mean? Like just, just again about disclaimer, right? My my wife works for Amazon, and she she runs marketing for Amazon Prime, actually. So, right, you, I, you know, just like seeing from the sidelines, you know, um, I don't think they necessarily thought about this as a uh, competition exercise. Um, it's really about, you know, from thinking from the customer's perspective, what's good for the customer, right? Um, hence, it's not just about e-commerce product selections, but it's also about the ancillary services around um, um, uh, the life of the customer. Mm. Um, could be Amazon Prime Video to storage to, you know, better delivery services, what have you. Um, uh, the the competition has never been a concern, right? And I think that really reflects in in the way the way the company is being built, right? It's really long term. Um, you're, you're thinking, you know, five, ten years ahead. Um, you know, you can't do that if you're constrained by and defined by competition in the market. Of course, there are short-term, like, tactical campaigns that you run against competition. But in the longer term, um, I've never seen that work that well. So. Mm. Very insightful. I mean, so your wife works in Amazon in marketing. You, you guys must have some really interesting conversations. I, I can imagine being, I don't know if you sit down at the dinner table and talk about yeah. <laughs> Asian yeah. strategy, a, but, you know, obviously outside It's an of interesting Amazon. household. Yeah, yeah. yeah. With your background and <laughs> yes. all your reading that you do as well and her insights, that must be very interesting. Yeah. We should get that as a podcast one day. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's an interesting household, um, <laughs> um, but that's that's great, right? I always I always say that it's a it's a beautiful partnership. You know, it, uh, never a down moment within I the bet. household. So it's good to be challenged as well once in a while. So yeah, just I mean, in in sort of rounding up, I, I guess you know one of the things that is also of interest to listeners looking outside into mm-hmm. Asia is is how do I get into Asia? It's mm-hmm. a, you know. You're obviously born in Singapore. You grew up there, and you know the. Oh, you're educated in the US, but that was your base, Singapore. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You recently we've seen people move to Asia. Some like Michael have come across with companies like Yahoo, and then sort of they've gone and done their own thing. But mm-hmm. there's now a generation of people who are looking at Asia, especially like young talent, and thinking, okay, th- this is happening. This is the Asian century. It's happening on my watch. How do I? become part of this where do i start do i get my backpack on book a one-way <laughs> yeah. ticket you know yeah. people are starting to ask me these questions seriously so where yeah. do we start i mean it's very generic advice but i don't know where we can yeah. start with this but do you have any thoughts on this is how do you get part of this action it's great like uh I, I, well for one there's no better way than just being here right yeah um it's because like you can read as much as you want you can watch as much as you want from afar but it's no better way to build out the your, your mental map of what's going on than being here yourself and see it for yourself with your own eyes right um i think that's really important um um you know and i think well of course like me being biased you know here being here in singapore i think singapore is a great um quite a gateway mm. into asia um um we're friendly enough we speak no, um, English, right? Um, um, the food here is pretty decent, if I may. Yeah. Um, durian. What? 
as yeah. much as you like. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So you know, come Singapore, right? It's, I think it's a, a a great kind of a gateway to pivot around the Asia region. Mm. Um, no, and there are you know quite a substantial um, base of international companies setting up shop here. Um, the tech giants from Microsoft, Facebook, Google have their Asia Pac headquarters being based here to you know traditionally um, more international MNCs being based here as well. So you know I think from a career standpoint, uh, I think there are ample opportunities for you to find something to do here. Um, um, else you, you could just use Singapore as a, as a region to again like a, like a point right to, to pivot around the region. No better way than than doing that. Right? Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. Five hour flight, three hundred no, three point five billion people. Mm-hmm. That's half the world's That's, population. So you know, no excuses yeah, really, is there? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm seeing more and more like uh, it's quite interesting, right? Um, if uh, it's also about being conscious of uh cultural immersion. I'm seeing more and more uh expats here learning Mandarin. You know, mm. learning Bahasa. Um, I think that's that's important, right? So, uh, no better way than than just acquiring a language and uh, you know as a means of communicating, mm. and you being physically physically here to see things with your own eyes. So yeah, yeah, that's great advice. Yeah. You know, it's, it's a good soft landing spot, isn't it? Especially if you're not sort of fully ready to dive in, or you just want to, you know, mm-hmm. test the waters in Asia. Singapore mm-hmm. really is the gateway, as Tiang says. It's it's mm-hmm. where you can. I think it's. Where, I think so. Yeah. There's a real. There's a real. You know, it doesn't have the sort of the hustle vibe of Shanghai, but the real benefit of Singapore is that, you know, it's so easy to get around, and people are really open to meet you. You know. Yeah. Think, you know, if you've lived in a, a Western city where it takes three hours to get from you know west to east, it's like yeah, Singapore's refreshing. It's yeah. easy to get it's, things done. Yeah, and it's funny because yesterday that reminds me, I was just having dinner with uh, Stu. He's one of the. Um, earliest co-founders of uh, mint.com uh-huh. uh, and he's, he's he's moved here with the wife in singapore now and he was saying that uh what's n- underappreciated about singapore is that it's it's good for families too you yeah. know he has two kids you know he finds it easy to 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 integrate and you know, two young kids being uh uh integrated and and you know going to school here is easy to bring his family around singapore is safe you know, it's efficient, you know, so um, that's that's an underappreciated fact. Right, right. right. That speaks a Especially lot. if you have a family. Yeah. yeah, exactly. I mean, there was that data that came out. I can't remember who it was who published it last week. I'm not sure if it's Google or somebody like that. The average age of a startup founder, they mm. 41.9, I think it was, that they came out. Oh, know, yeah, so. yeah, that's right. Yeah, I saw that. Yeah, so there yeah. you go. So, I mean, you know, yeah. that, it, I know we go back to that conversation about you know, the Asian kid walking out of Stanford in a pair of sandals, you know, from engineering background, who's like 20 years old. That, that's sort of like <laughs> the media image of startup founders, isn't it? The, the reality is, is yeah. that, you know, they're yeah. a lot older and that's probably yeah. less risk for seed investors, yeah. isn't it? So Yeah, yeah, there you go, another bias. So There you go, yeah, always to be yeah. challenged. Hey, Chang Lim Fu, mm-hmm. everybody, real pleasure having you on the show and, you know, really enjoyed listening to your insights and your thoughts also an Thank update you. on your journey yeah i've been you know really enjoyed that and we'll put all the details in the show notes and i'm looking forward to getting an update in the future from you because there's always something to learn Chang Lin Fu, everybody partner at seed plus and we'll yeah 
stay in touch. I think as well, you, you, you guys seem to be pretty open to people reaching out to you as well. So, Oh, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I'm hoping this becomes a trilogy. You know, if, if this is the empire strikes back, <laughs> I, <laughs> we're number two. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Good man. I'll speak to you soon. Cool. Thank you. You've been listening to Asia tech podcast. Find out more at ATP.show.